0: I really should walk up slower when that video is playing. There's an awkward five-second hang. We're staring at each other. Um, Listen, but before we jump in the Word, I want to spend some time praying uh, because there's something we want to have happen during this time. The thing we want to have happen during this time is something I can't make happen. What we want to have happen is we want to have an encounter with God through His Word. I want Him to actually work in your heart in a way that is significant and real and life-changing. That's what I want. So I'm going to ask God to do that, I'm also as we pray, we've also got Woodlands Camp happening this week, and it's a real similar thing. Our church and people put tons of time, and Brittany Yates has put in tons and tons of time into making this camp awesome, but the reality is, no matter how much time we put in, no matter how many college students we bring here, no matter how many bounce houses we have, what we wanna have happen is more than just fun. We literally want these kids and these families to meet and know and love Jesus. And so I, we need your help, church. I need your help to pray that God would work this week. Like like the work on the back end has been done, but the work that matters most of praying and asking God to work, I'm asking you to join us in that, that we'd be able to gather next week and celebrate and say, say, let let me tell you some of the things that we actually got to see God do. And I I wanna pray that for right now as well. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we are unashamed to say that that we want to meet you and hear from you through your word. Uh, We're unashamed to say that we don't want to manipulate it. We don't want to manufacture it. We don't want to play make-believe. God, we, we want to really meet you and know you. And God, we want kids this week and moms and dads and families that are showing up, God, we want them to meet you and hear your good news. And so God, we're asking that you would work now in this time to give soft and tender hearts. God, I'm asking you to be stronger than our hard hearts and our distracted hearts. And I'm praying the same for these kids. For the kids that are showing up hard, we pray you would soften them. For the kids that are showing up wounded, God, we pray you would heal them. For the kids that are showing up that know you, God, we pray that they would fall more in love with you. God, for the kids that are showing up and they don't know you, God, we pray that you would save them. We want that happening right now. So God, we're looking to you for your namesake. We, we want people to get to know you for your namesake, not ours. This is about you and not us. And I, I pray we would honor you in that this morning. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, let me just tell you, we're, we're in James chapter one, and James is real and authentic and pointed and practical, and, and uh, I like it a lot. Let me tell you what I don't like. I don't like fake things. I don't like fake people. Um, I, the more fake it feels, the more I wanna run the other way. And unfortunately, I'm a pastor. Um, I guess y'all didn't get that joke. Uh, and that means that I get exposed to people pretending all the time. Um, normally someone's just being fake. That, that can be a little annoying, and I'm like, man, I know they don't feel safe around me, or they're trying to figure out how to act around a pastor. But, but sometimes it's more than just a fake of nervousness and, and hiddenness because you're scared to be known. It's, there's a fakeness that's just downright dangerous. Uh, Several years ago, before I moved here, I had an unsaved friend that lived a couple doors down from me. And as we were engaging in conversations about knowing Jesus and what he was like, he found out where I worked. Uh, And when I told him the name of the church, he goes, that big one on the corner? And I was like, yeah, the big one on the corner. And he just immediately, on his face, I could tell, he did not like that church. I'm like, hey, man, what's what's up, bro? What what happened with that church? And so he, he gave me the name of a deacon who I'd never heard of before. This guy was a deacon before my time there. This deacon had done a business deal with him and it was shady and it was crooked and he basically uh, almost robbed this guy and did some really, really shady things. And So my friend who didn't know God did not want to get to know God because he met a deacon at our church who was, quite frankly, just fake. Listen, that, that kind of thing, that wasn't annoying. That was infuriating, it was extremely frustrating. But I also had the privilege of being around real people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like Where they're real and they're authentic. I have this friend, he's the real deal. His name is Nathan Chapman. I love Nathan Chapman. The moment I met Nathan, I knew for a fact that Nathan was a real, I, I said knew for a fact. I thought for a fact that he was a real, authentic follower of Jesus, just hanging out with that dude. It immediately, I, like, there was something disarming about how real and authentic he was. Like, it, it just, it ripped away all pretense. He was just there with you for who you are. There was no judgment. He, he got me into deep conversations. It made my guard come down. It made me immediately connect with this dude because I was like, that dude's the real deal. I want to be with him. He makes me love Jesus more, man. He makes me want to love the people around me more. He was real and authentic. And listen, it didn't make me feel fake. It made me want to stay as far away from all types of fakeness I could possibly imagine. And listen, once you've spent time with someone like that, once you've done it, it's impossible to go back to any other type of way. Like You might try. Like, if you've had real, authentic friendship with someone who's real, when you tasted that, you cannot go back to the plastic form. The, the, the mask that goes on, the pretending, the, the jockeying for image that I, of how I want you to look at me and think about me. Man, what was scary before now feels like I cannot live like this anymore. I don't want the fake, I don't want the plastic, I don't want the pretend. I reject it all for the real deal thing. And that is exactly what Pastor James is writing to his church. He's got this church of almost 100% Jewish people. They're all Jewish. And they're under persecution and they're scattered all over the place. And here's what that means. He's writing to them to make sure they're doing all right in persecution. And their pastor's concerned for them is that they would not be the real deal followers of Jesus. That there'd be this plasticky, fake, uh, really polished on the outside form that was totally unacceptable to God. And it's, it's striking to me he would have to write this to people who grew up in the Jewish world. They know the Bible. They know clean living. Listen, I can't think of something that that connects better to our current society in the southeast. In the city of Tallahassee, at this church, with us as a people who have grown up in church, listen, we know how to perform. Tallahassee knows how to look good and clean and religious and respectable. And this pastor's concern is that they would know how to look good, clean, respectable and polished and still not be the real deal followers of Jesus. So we look at James chapter one. Listen, James has been writing to these people. He said, I don't want you to just listen to the word, be a doer of the word. He's gonna explain what he means by that today. So would you open up in your Bibles to James chapter one. James chapter one, we've got two verses for today. James chapter one, verse 26 and 27 is what we've got. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. All right, verse 26. Let me read these verses to you. Here's our verses for today. It says this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Ooh, dropping bows. Verse 27. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's not rocket science. What I just read, I would bet most of you understood right out of the gate. And listen, James is only going to get more pointed as we go on, guys. He's, he's going to get more direct and more pointed, and we are going to be faced with the choice every single time we see these verses. Will we leave and do what it says, or will we hear it, walk away, forget, and leave unchanged? Listen, if you forget and leave unchanged, you will not be the real deal. But if we will look, look at this and say, listen, what he says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that by the power of Jesus, then we will be real deal followers of Jesus. And here's what James just said in verse 26. He just said, there's a possibility for you to be really religious and it to be totally and completely worthless. It's an absolute and utter and complete waste of time. Like, just, just think about that. He is saying, listen, you are suffering persecution and you are scattered all over the place, but you could be doing all of that Every last bit of it, and it could be a complete and absolute waste of time. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not down for wasting my life and wasting my time and wasting my energy. I I'm not interested in that. I, I'm not. I, I can spend I can do better things on Sunday morning than waste my time with empty, meaningless, pointless religion. Right? And and if we're honest, man. I think a whole lot of people have come to that conclusion before we read these verses here this morning. If we're honest, maybe is it possible that one of the reasons why churches are dying so often is not because the gospel is strong and powerful, but because the religion they're experiencing is empty and worthless and plastic and fake? Is it possible that churches are dying because they should? Is it? Is it possible that our kids and grandkids are walking away from the church not because they saw it in all its glory and beauty, not because they saw it loving and serving, not because they saw it radically sharing the gospel with people and making a difference in lives? Is it possible that our kids and grandkids are walking away from the church because all they've seen at the church is empty, plastic, fake, worthless religion? I don't think I like this question. But James forces me to ask this question. Now listen, people leave the church for all sorts of reasons. But one of the reasons I don't want them to leave this church, one of the reasons I don't want them to walk out from among us, is because all they saw here was useless, worthless, fake religion. I don't think that about you. But I don't know you well enough to know what's going on in your heart and in your homes and in your lives. Your job today, along with mine, is to wrestle what these verses would say to you and I specifically, individually, on, on purpose in our life. And, and we can come with all sorts of excuses of why we don't want to be, do these things. But the reality is James makes it really clear. He gives three things and only three things that he says are the mark of true religion. Now, let me tell you what he's not doing here. He's not saying this is the sum total of being a follower of God. He's not saying everything about following God is doing these three things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you are a real follower of Jesus, if you're the real deal, then these will be three markers, three fruits that are happening in your life. But if they're not there, then you should be asking yourself some questions because the reality is you might have worthless religion. So today this passage is a call to us to stop the game, to reject the plastic, and to be real. So let's see the three markers of real deal followers of Jesus. Verse 26, he makes it real simple, right? Let's read it. He says this, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Number one, control your tongue. That's pretty simple, right? Like the the words he used there control, for bridle is a word of bridle. He's going to explain more in James chapter 3. But if you're a horse genius, which I am not, uh, the way people steer horses and control horses, they put a bridle in its mouth. Any horse people in here? Am I right or am I just totally making that up? There we go. You, you put it in their mouth, and somehow you put it in its mouth, and you can get it to stop, you can get it to go, left, right, or however that works. Maybe you can. I can't. I just hang on for your dear life and hope it doesn't decide it wants to go for a run in the woods. Anyways, uh, I haven't been on a horse in forever. I don't even know why I would bring that up. But, but James is saying, listen, if you think that you're the real deal follower of God, and you don't control your tongue, you don't control the things that come out of your mouth, your religion is... You're probably self-deceived and your religion is worthless. I don't think I like this verse right now. James is making me uncomfortable. James is doing what I like to call meddling where he ought not to meddle. Right? Um, Maybe you do great with your tongue. I, I don't know. But this is very convicting, I think, for all of us when we think about that. And this is not just about keeping yourself from saying bad words. This is more than that. It's not about stopping. It's about controlling. It's stopping what you shouldn't say and steering your mouth to say the things that you ought to say. So so I'm asking this question, why the tongue? Uh, Of all the things that I would think James would list, like saying, listen, I got three things for you. Like if our church gathered and said, give me the top three markers of what a follower of Jesus looks like. If you wrote your three lists, would tongue be on there? Well, I'm... I, I want to ask what would be on there, but I'm afraid to ask that. So I'm not going to ask you right now because I have an idea of what it would look like. I have an idea. I mean, James doesn't mention church attendance. He doesn't mention reading your Bible. He doesn't mention praying. What am I supposed to do with this, James? You didn't mention three of the biggies. You didn't even give me three sins to stay away from. Number one, numero uno on James's list it's to watch your mouth, control your tongue. Listen, he, he, here's why I think this is James' biggest concern. It reminds me of the teaching of Jesus. He, Jesus made this statement. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 45. If you want to flip back over there, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 45. Let me show you something Jesus said about the tongue. He says this in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Listen, if it's a good tree, it doesn't have bad fruit. Verse 44, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. In other words, you you get apples from apple trees, you get pears from pear trees. Listen, not rocket science. Verse 45, the good person... Out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. And this is the part I want you to see. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Here's what James is saying. I I think this is the point that James is trying to make. Because Jesus makes it clear that our speech reveals what's in our heart. The words that come out of your mouth say something about what's deep inside your heart and what's going on. It it says something deep and powerful and true. Something that can be more true than everything else. My mouth speaks out of the overflow of my heart. And and here's what I think it means. I think Jesus has this plan, not just to change our words, but to change our hearts. He, He wants not just to make you have a rotten, broken heart on the inside that speaks really nice, pretty words, What he wants for us is not to learn how to talk nicely. He wants us to learn how to have brand new hearts. Like hearts that are changed. Here's what Jesus did for us. When he came and he died on the cross and came back to life, three days later, he didn't say, I did this work, now you get to work after me. He said, I've got this plan for you. If you will trust me and ask me to save you, His plan was to give us brand new, clean and forgiven hearts. Hearts that are full of love and grace and mercy and worship. Right? And then the plan is this, that if my heart has met Jesus and he's changed it, and it is overflowing, it's bubbling out over and over and over again, grace and mercy and love. And worship, then what's supposed to end up happening is that it's filling with love, grace, mercy, worship. It begins to come out of my mouth in the words that I say. I want you to imagine this. Imagine, uh, because here's what I believe. I believe our speech is the, actually the very first step to loving people well. And just imagine this. What if the heart change in us as a people was so profound? what if we met Jesus in such a significant way that our hearts were changed? And what if we walked with Jesus in such an intimate way all week long, and he filled us with love and grace and mercy and awe, and we gathered together, and not out of this fake performance of I'm supposed to say these really good brother words, brother, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't say brother, but you know what I mean, right? Like, that there's something real that's happening in us and what overflows out of our hearts when we show up here is a real walk with Jesus and we start bumping into each other. When you bump into me, the thing that comes out of my mouth is grace and mercy and love and encouragement that I can't wait to worship God and talk about him because I've been in awe of him all week long. My heart is filled and overflowing. Listen, this is significantly different Than any type of legalistic plan to control your mouth. This is that thing where Jesus goes after the heart and it changes and it bubbles up out into my, oh, that was a big mistake, uh, out of my mouth and out of all my living. Just what if? What if discouragement was replaced with encouragement? What if tearing down was replaced because Jesus did a work in the heart we were building each other up? What if exclusion and cliques is replaced with invitation and openness and welcome? What if gossip was replaced with kindness? What if condemnation was replaced with confession? What if cursing was replaced with worship? What if speaking legalism and judgment was replaced with speaking the good news? What would it be like to gather with those people every week? What would it be like to invite your friends to that kind of environment? Listen, when James writes to his people saying, you wanna be the real deal follower of Jesus, then listen, if it's real and he touched your heart, then it will change your mouth. Man, listen, I think James is on to something. I think his list is already better than my list if I was doing it. Church, and here's what I want you to know. If Jesus has changed you and met you, then he's given you the power to do this. Here's the second mark. The first one is control your tongue. Second one. Listen, can I just be honest? It's only going to get harder. If controlling your tongue freaks you out, wait till you get to number dose. All right? Number two is this, care for the weak. Look at verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. In other words, fake religion deceives itself and it's not able to control its tongue. But the real deal... Not like the, the religious, but the real deal worshipers of God. The, the type of worship that God sees is that's it. That's pure, that's perfect, that's exactly what I want. That type of religion, look at how it describes it. It's this. It gives two things. Number one, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That, that word visit, it doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to schedule time to sit down and chat with you. It means you're actually going to be with someone. You're intended to be with them when they're hurting and to be there with the plan of actually helping. You're there to help. You're actually going to take responsibility to help that person. And he picks two groups. He picks orphans and widows. Why orphans and widows? Well, in the ancient world, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable in all of society. There was not foster care. There were not orphanages. There was... There was not welfare for, for widows who were poor. If their family was not taking care of them, the result was their, their option and way of living was for them to be begging on the side of the road. They were beggars. They were helpless. They, they had no one to help. They were the weakest among us. Now I think the point of this is not specifically just orphans and widows. It's, it's all who would be helpless and weak all who would need care, all who would be needy. His claim is that real religion that God loves cares for the weak, for the orphan, for the widow, for all who would need help. That's what God loves. That's, that's not new to us, is it? Listen, God's always had that heart. Psalm 68, verse five. We'll throw it up on the screen for you in case you don't have your Bibles. He says this, here's how God is described. He's the father of the fatherless, And the protector of widows is God and His holy habitation. When God wants to describe what He's like, He's like, every kid that doesn't have a dad that's present, I'll be their dad. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? He's a really good father. Every widow who's being oppressed and people are going after, He is their protector. When the judge won't do it, when the courts won't do it, when the cops won't do it, when the society won't do it, God says, I will, I'll step in there, I'm not going to tolerate that. That's a pretty good God. Let me, why don't you flip over to Isaiah chapter one? I want you to see how serious God is with this. Isaiah chapter one, verse 11. I don't hear a lot of flipping, so I'm assuming you're scrolling on your phone and you already found it. So Isaiah chapter one, verse 11, listen, church, i Just think about these verses. I want you to listen to this and see what God is saying here. He's talking about Israel and their their struggle with worship. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? This is God. What do I care about all these cows and sheep that you're sacrificing to me? Says the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. Yeah, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. There should be a question. Well, isn't that what you told us you wanted in the Old Testament? What do you mean you're done with it? What do you mean you don't want it? You said you wanted it. It's like us. I thought you said you wanted me to go to church. You wanted me to be in small group. You wanted me to give to the church. What do you mean you're not happy with that, God? I sang as loud as I could. Even though it was out of key and everyone heard it, I still sang. Verse 13, or verse, yeah, verse thirteen. bring no more vain offerings, incenses, and abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity and solemnness. I can't take all your special holidays. Verse 14, your new moon, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. He's like, you guys have wore me out. Expand, expand, set, set. Look at verse seventeen. Look at verse seventeen. He says this. He says this. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Seek justice. Seek justice. Correct. Correct oppression. Correct, Correct oppression. Bring justice. Bring justice to Bring the, justice the justice fatherless and plead the widow's cause. You know, you know what I'd rather you do, Israel? I'd rather you stop killing all the bulls and the goats. I'd rather you stop doing the fancy worship services. I'd rather you stop doing the holidays and the fast. I'd rather you stop giving tons and tons of money. I would just rather you would just do what is right and you would care for the weak and needy. God has always, always had a heart for this. And that means his sons and daughters his ambassadors, his his church, if we're really his, that means we really have this heart. Now you may feel, oh man, I, I I don't know what to do with this. I may feel guilty. You may feel all sorts of guilt. Here's what I want you to feel. I'm not asking you to feel guilty right now. What I'm asking you to say is, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, then in you God has given a new heart and there should be something that your heart beats fast saying, I do want to love people who are needy. I do want to care for the weak and the poor and the oppressed. That should be happening in you. And if there's nothing in you, then I would pray that this passage would warn you to repentance and placing your trust in Jesus. But if there is something, can I tell you something? That's a good sign. That, that's the work of the Father in you. And don't, church, can we, can we not harden our hearts to this? Here's my concern for us. There are so many liars and con artists out there that almost in a moment of self preservation, we've hardened ourselves to helping the poor, the weak, and the needy because there's so many who are working the system. Is it anyone else, or am I the only one? Dude, they will manipulate the snotty, they'll use kids. They'll bring their kids to you and say, My, my kids. Aren't gonna eat tonight. You'll feel your heart and then your wheels are playing a game. And it'll harden your heart. Church, we cannot allow our hearts to be hardened by the sinfulness of others. We need wisdom, but we need to have hearts. Here's what I care about. A heart that cares about the needy and the oppressed, the widow and the orphan, the real deal followers of Jesus, real religion, the real church cares deeply about this, and not just cares, but is moved to action. Move to action as best as we can. And listen, here's what that means for us. That means of all the places in the world, if someone is broken and needy and struggling, do you know the place they should want to show up? Us. They should want to come here. And if you're a people that care and love for the weedy, then... The neek, the neek, the weak and the poor? Words are hard. Uh, if that's you, if that's who you really are, then guess what else will come when the weak, needy, and poor show up? So will the con artists, the wolves, and the people who want to get a free ride. But we'll figure that out when it crosses there. What I care about is that we're the people that have a heart for that. That the needy, the weak and the broken show up here and say, That's my people. Those are the people who say, I want them, I want them here, I want them welcome, I want them comfortable. I don't care if it makes the pew smell, because guys have been sleeping on the streets for three weeks. If they walk into this door, they should experience the love, grace, mercy, and welcome of Jesus. If they walk into this door and their life has been a complete train wreck, if last night was a complete drunken they're coming in and they're recovering from whatever foolish they were doing, whether they were addicted to drugs. If they show up and they give us a chance to introduce them to Jesus, they better meet kindness and warmth and welcomeness and love of the Father. They should not meet judgment and condemnation and disgust. The people of God love the weak, broken, and needy because our Father loves the weak, broken, and needy. And quick news flash. we are the weak, broken, and needy. If we weren't, then he didn't need to die on a cross for us. If he didn't have a heart for the weak, broken, and needy, every single one of us in this room, no matter how wealthy you are, how strong you are, how good you are, how successful you are, you were in big, big trouble when it came to the end. Listen, we're glad he has a heart for the weak, broken, needy, because that is us. But there's a third thing. And listen, I can give you practical ways to do this, but I don't, I don't want to be here for four hours. <laughs> there's a third thing. It's not just control your tongue and care for the weak. Look at this third one. The end of verse 27 of James chapter 1. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and two to keep oneself unstained from the world. Told you he was aggressive, but here's this thing. We're supposed to keep guard or watch over ourselves to make sure that we're not stained by the world. We're pursuing holiness, we're, we're pursuing Christlikeness. we're fighting and resisting sin. And what he is saying is, listen, we're not supposed to be stained by the world. Let me tell you what he is not saying. He's not telling us to isolate from the world. We're not supposed to go make a compound and live with huge walls and stay away from them to keep all the grossness out. We're not supposed to isolate. We're supposed to illuminate the world with the good news and gospel of Jesus. And we can't do that hidden. He's telling us to be in the world but not be totally pushed into the mold of the world. Listen, when we get saved and changed by Jesus, he gives us a new heart, but then the Holy Spirit begins this work. Where he's hammering and pushing and molding and chiseling to make us look more and more like Jesus. And at the same time he's working on you and I, there's an agenda around us from the world around us to squeeze us and mold us not to look like Jesus, but to look like everyone else around us, to have the same thinking, the same actions, the same dress. And our job is to to fight that and resist that and be wrapped into the agenda of God, not the agenda of the world. Let me just say it this way. Listen, church, if you're going to be a real follower of Jesus, it means you fight sin. It means you fight it. You may not always win, but we are not people that are just constantly, forever, wrapped up in sin. When it's on us, we fight and we get help no matter what it takes to get it off of us. It is not a follower of Jesus to sit there and say, yeah, I'm sinning and I'm doing it, but God's okay with it, so I'm okay with it, and I'm not gonna mess with this. That's that's not real deal follower of Jesus. And and here's the things I'm the most concerned about for us as a people. In our society, I'm concerned about our purity. I'm concerned that there's an agenda to mold us to be immoral and to be ungodly, and to to give in to lust, and sin, and sexual immorality, and those are not the people of God. You may stumble, and you may fail, but if you give in to it, and go wholehearted into it, listen, that's not the real deal follower of Jesus. Real religion before God resists it, and fight it by the power of God. It's not, not just immorality, church. Greed, I'm concerned that we'd be a people that just would go grab money after money after money and build up huge, huge storehouses, not just because God's blessing us. It's not wrong to have lots of money, it's wrong to love lots of money. I'm afraid we'd be a people that'd be wrapped up in money and we'd pursue it over everything else. I'm I'm afraid we'd love money, I'm afraid we'd love sex. Listen, I'm afraid we'd love our kids more than Jesus. I'm afraid that as a people, we would follow this culture in a a thing that would say, what matters most is my kids being really good at whatever sport you've got, and you will sell everything. You will give all of your time and all of your energy and all of your weekends to make sure that your kids are good at this, and then you'll occasionally sprinkle in knowing and walking with God. We can't be stained by the world in this where we pursue sports for our kids more than Jesus. I'm not just concerned about us pursuing sex outside of God's plan or pursuing money with greed or worshiping our kids in sports. Church, I'm afraid that we'll get wrapped up in political maneuvering and manipulation, that we'll love power and influence more than service and humility and gospel. I'm afraid we'll look just like the Republicans and the Democrats instead of the people of Jesus. Church, if we want to be unstained from the world, I, I think, this is this is Faiz, this is your pastor talking, but, but, but I think the greatest pressure's on us in this room as a church. I think it's about sex, I think it's about money, I think it's about family, and I think it's about politics. There may be others, we're all limping in different areas. But if we're gonna be the people of God, the real followers of Jesus, don't give in, not without a fight. Let's fight to follow hard after him and see what he does. Church, in a moment, I'm gonna guide us in a response. And this is the time where your job is to ask God what he said to you today. I don't know what he said to you. Maybe he called you to say, you know what, you've been fake. It's been fake and it's been plastic. It's been a show. Man, his call is for you to take that mask off and to really place your trust in Jesus. Maybe for you, you've never entered into a real relationship with God. I believe that he was calling some of you today to say, I want to trust in Jesus and only Jesus and his work on the cross. Maybe the thing he's done for you is you have a control on your tongue. You have a heart that's full of something, anger, bitterness, rage, something in... And out of your mouth is spewing what's in your heart. And would you ask Jesus to change that heart? Maybe for you, the thing that's been going on is your heart for the weak and the broken and the distant is hardened. Man, would you ask God to soften your heart and give you God's heart, your father's heart for the weak, broken, and oppressed? Maybe you find yourself beginning to be stained by the world. So I want you to run to Jesus and ask him to clean you and give you different affections and different love to be able to resist the pressures that come on us because they are coming on us. Church, the challenge right now is to reject the plastic and be the real deal followers of Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Again, like I said, this is your time to do business with God. that I want to remind you of a few things. If you were convicted today of sin, can I remind you of the story we did at the beginning, the prodigal son? The father is willing and ready with open arms to say, yeah, get over here. Just ask him to forgive you. And he is down for making you clean and bringing you close into a relationship. whatever he convicted you of, just confess and run to him. If you found your heart being cold to those around you or overflowing with things out of your mouth or being stained by the world, listen, It's not just that he forgives you, he has resurrection power. If he can bring Jesus back from the dead, then he is strong enough to change my heart and your heart. Whatever sin feels too big, whatever struggle feels too oppressive, whatever thing is in your way of following him, he's bigger than that and he can help you. Would you by faith ask him to do what only he can do in your heart? The thing maybe what you've seen in your heart is you've seen god working you may not be perfect in it but he is changing your heart so your speech is changing he he is giving you more of a heart for the weak and the oppressed for the orphan and the widow he is helping you fight sin and keep unstained from the world would you just worship him for helping you with that Would you be overwhelmed just for a moment of worship to God right there in your seat? He cared for us and pursued us when we had nothing to offer. When we deserve judgment and condemnation, he gave you and I grace, mercy, love, and an invitation into a relationship. Would you praise him for that right there in your seat? me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we're grateful that you don't want us just to be religious, plasticky type people. You came to save us and to change us for real. And God, you didn't call us to perfection, but you called us to be authentic, real followers of Jesus, and you gave us power, you gave us gospel power to actually be changed by you. God, we we praise you that you're kind. We praise you that you're merciful and patient and forgiving. God, we also praise you that you're strong enough to change us. So God, I pray for every single one of us in the room that you would continue to work in us, that we would be real followers of you. God, would you make us a church that's real and authentic, that represents you to every man, woman, and child we meet with love, grace, and mercy. God, I'm praying that you would use us, us weak and broken and frail people, I'm praying you would use us for your namesake in this city. God, I'm praying you would use us for your namesake to the people next to us. God, I'm asking us that you you would make us a real church with real followers of you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.